Hello everyone, this is Sherry Rice. Welcome to Access to Healthcare's weekly podcast, where we bring you local guests on topics of interest to you and your family. Today we are continuing our COVID-19 topics with the first in a series of podcasts on mental health issues as they relate to COVID-19. Certainly mental health issues uh, relate to much more than COVID-19, but what we know that it has been exacerbated by our pandemic. Our series is going to include such topics as fear of getting COVID, the emotional impact of being laid off, should I send my children back to school, and parenting overload. And my guest for this series is Nora Ann Brooklocker. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist here locally with Sierra Sunrise. Welcome, Nora Ann. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, this is fabulous. I'm so glad we're going to start a series. And uh, you and I talked about those four topics and then uh, seeing if we want to continue because it feels to me like there are so many topics that we could talk about that have to do with the stress of COVID-19 and mental health issues. Today our topic is fear of getting COVID-19. It seemed like a good place to start, Nora Ann, um, because it's been such an intense few months that we've all been through, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight, and that the fear of getting COVID and everything that revolves around that is in our face almost every day. Now, let's go back to mid-March, when many of us started to realize that COVID-19 wasn't just something that was a problem somewhere else, that it was a problem in our community. Um, And we had multiple things come up for people at that time. Can you talk a little bit about um, in the beginning and what were people's concerns or maybe what was your concern when you knew that the pandemic was in our community? Right. Um, I wasn't sure initially how seriously to take it. Um, I think that it was really such a shock to the system to watch as all of the businesses really ground to a halt uh, in front of us. And uh, the initial quarantine, I thought, oh, that won't happen. And then it did. And then I thought, oh, it'll be just a couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. And then it's really turned in two months. And with the reopening, I think that there was definitely some some energizing that happened at that time. People were getting some momentum back. I definitely, I saw the highest number of cases I've ever seen in my entire career in April. And then they dipped back down in May. And then they skyrocketed up again in June, even higher than it was in April. And here in July, or I guess at the end of July here, um, we are definitely seeing a pretty heavy crisis occurring. There are some some big issues that have been happening, but uh, over the number of months, it's it's definitely been a bit of a marathon. Yes, we um, we had on Kevin Dick. He's our public health officer here in Washoe County. We had him on the podcast earlier this week. And it was quite chilling as to what's happening and happening right now um, when you go through the history of the cases and then you look at what's happening in July and what could be happening in August. It's quite shocking. So let's talk from from an anxiety level. Um, We face multiple crises all at the same time here, um, and it feels like it's overload. Some people were fearful right away. Some of their fear was gradual. For others, they haven't been afraid at all of it, the pandemic. 
Can we talk about fear a little bit? It seems very personal to people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that there are a number of contributing factors there. I would say that on the whole, people often appear less responsive to the threats that they cannot see. A virus would certainly fall into that category. Um, And also, when it doesn't necessarily feel like it would affect you personally um, or those around you, we might just try to go on about our, our usual business. You know, things are happening all across the world all the time. And um, now that it is here in our community, I think that um, there's been a lot of confusion. There's been a lot of uncertainty, not knowing who to trust, um, in addition to what appears to be very similar sentiments and confusion amongst leadership during a highly divisive election year. Um, And I also want to talk about both cognitive dissonance as well as caution burnout. So cognitive dissonance um, was a term coined by Leon Festinger in the 1950s, and it describes the discomfort that people feel when two thoughts or a thought and a behavior contradict one another internally. Um, So pulling from an article by Elliot Aronson and Carol Tavris, um, social psychologists, uh, the article is entitled The Role of Cognitive Dissonance in the Pandemic. They give a really great example. Um, I smoke is dissonant with the knowledge of smoking can kill me. So to reduce that dissonance internally, the smoker must either quit or justify the smoking. So the idea here is that at its core, Festinger's theory is about how people strive to make sense out of very contradictory ideas and lead lives that are, at least in their own minds, consistent and meaningful. And with this particular situation, there has been such an abundance of cognitive dissonance in terms of uh, the the issues presenting, whether it's wearing a mask or it's, um, should I send my children to school? And of course, we'll address that in a later podcast, but But there are a number of issues. Yeah, that's fabulous. I'm so glad you brought this up. That would be a little like, and I'm just going to say it, the president saying you don't need a mask and, and Fauci saying you do need a mask. Exactly. Two very different opinions. And so then we're seeing this further divide. Um, And I think dissonance dissonance is most painful when the evidence strikes at the heart. That's that's what uh, Aronson and Tavris say in their their article here. So when it really threatens our sense of self, and we want to see ourselves as ethical and competent and and warm-hearted, good people. And so I think that there's a, a number of pieces here where it's like, yes, I think COVID is serious. No, I think it's a hoax. It, it, it's on both sides. Um, we have to justify our choice. And um, with that said, I think that it, it morphs from uncertainty into trying to come back to a sense of certainty in such an uncertain time. It's this way of trying to take back control. Well, I think you put into words some things that so many of us feel, which then leads to um, our anxiety uh, because we don't know what to believe and what not to believe. I had someone yesterday um, say to me, a highly uh, skilled professional in our community, not in the healthcare industry, uh, say to me, well, do you think this is real? Mm. And, mm-hmm. and I uh, looked at him and said, yes, I do. And, and he's, and I'm not saying that it, because he's a, 
skilled professional that he should be more learned than the rest of us, though maybe I do expect that he would be a little more up on the reading, but he's obviously having his own internal discussion on the cognitive dissonance on there's so many opinions and now he's asking me is this the real so when we have that kind of uh, cognitive dissonance for ourselves talk about the anxiety but also the fact that then we go and we try and get have somebody else help us figure out what's real like he said to me is this real absolutely i think we really begin to doubt and question ourselves um, you know, and, and again, I think that there's a bit of that caution burnout. Again, we, we've been doing this for, for months, and those survival mechanisms kick in. There's the fight, flight, or freeze. And when it comes to um, trying to address our anxiety and our fear, we are very social creatures. And so a lot of times we want to make sense of what we're going through and think, am, am I crazy? Am I, am I overdoing this? Am I underdoing this? What, what's going on? here and so we do look to others to help us better understand but again because people are kind of all over the map when it comes to their survival mechanisms some some are really fighting some are um, really holding up in their homes and then there are others where they're they're almost just paralyzed where they just don't know what to do Um, and then with the caution burnout specifically essentially what that is is that early on in March we saw those those survival mechanisms kick in really strong we were all helping one another and then it really started to decrease and there the, the adrenaline wore off and the depression perhaps anxiety really kicked in um, as we started to see some of those numbers really increasing but they were in different parts of, of the the nation or the world um, and now we're starting to see them here in our own area but because of the caution burnout it's people are less likely to take some of the precautions that they were very early on so less hand washing in fact, um, even though the mask, uh, the mask wearing is supposed to be um, uh, all across the state in all of the places that you're going, we're still seeing that there's a lot of pushback. Um, so there's, there's a lot of issues there around the precautionary measures. Yes, that's another excellent uh, piece of this that you bring up, that caution burnout. And, and even within families, because what we have seen is that if you have, you know, a generational family, uh, whether you're living together or not, they all might have a different idea of what is real or what they need to do. And the other members of the family say, wait a minute, either you're not doing enough or, wow, you're you're being kind of weird about all this. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I think that there's uh, additionally, some some compassion fatigue, you know, when it comes to how we're managing our anxiety and stress levels, I would say that we're, we have less of a capacity to manage things that normally we might be at odds with. So we might have some levels of disagreement, and normally it would be like, that's not a problem, that's just Aunt Sally, or that's, oh, she's, you know, just a millennial. I've heard that a lot often <laughs> recently. Or even just saying, oh, that person's a boomer. You know, that they'll be like, oh, that's that's not a big deal. That's just who they are. Right. But in this situation, it feels so much more personal. Right. It feels so much more right. in your face, perhaps. And I think right. because people are experiencing these 
really big emotions. Um, so many other pieces are really coming out in very vehement sort of ways. I really started to see the anger uptick. And in May, uh, we, we definitely started to see that people had come to kind of their, their, their limit, their threshold to some degree, and were getting very restless, very agitated. And I think that we've really started to see that uh, increase. But really what that is, is again, trying to take back control. It's that sense of I want to externalize all these feelings that are just so heavy because depression, anxiety, those things are something that we tend to um, almost uh, deflate internally with. So we don't want that. Instead, we're trying to externalize it, but it creates its own major havoc um, amongst family uh, at high rates. Um, defriending, I guess, on social media platforms and uh, just struggling to communicate about some of these issues as they're presenting. Right. So you're, uh, Nora Ann, I just think you're doing a fabulous job of painting the picture for us on many of the feelings that we've been having for the last four months and the the sort of um, uh, roadmap of those feelings from when it started uh, to the compassion fatigue, the caution burnout that I think that we're all feeling our doubt and our questions because the pandemic um, hasn't gone away and it's only gotten worse in our community. And so therefore, whatever relaxation we had, now we have to up it again. And what does that do to our stress level? Because we can't exhale. I don't know any other way to put it. We're, we can't exhale. And you just brought up a few minutes ago um, social media. If you're on, if you listen to the news, if you're on social media, when do we get to exhale? Right, right. Um, so first off, I would say that it, I would relate it to like a fuel tank, an internal fuel tank. And I think that we're either, you know, on that last quarter of the tank or we're running on fumes at this moment in time. And there is still a long ways to go from from what we're seeing um and i think that in some ways because this is a virus it's here to stay you know this is now becoming um acquainted with it if you look at other viruses such as like chickenpox it can later in life become shingles that's not one that leaves the body um herpes uh, hiv these are just they're viruses it doesn't necessarily mean that you will get them but because we um, are used to the the common flu or perhaps uh, regular colds, these are things that will integrate in time. But in the here and now, it's very new, it's very novel, and so we're having to get accustomed to it. But because of our internal fuel tank being so low, I think we are having some of those difficulties really managing. Um, and in terms of like the social media part, uh, there's a behavior that has been coined as doom scrolling, and I don't know about you but I uh, I have found myself especially early on when this was occurring uh, waking up around 2 to 3 a.m. <laughs> and uh, that apparently was my mind's most prime time for anxiety of, of what was occurring and um, I would find myself gravitating towards my phone to just know more and I think that the intention towards that was to protect myself my loved ones the people in my life that I care right. so dearly about right. to be able to educate my own clients 
And I found that I went down the rabbit's hole. Holy cannoli. It was, um, I found that it took a real decline in my own mental well-being. And with that realization, I, I, I realized I was breaking my own rule, which is that there's no screens an hour before bedtime, an hour Uh, within waking, but doing it in the middle of the night, I was finding that it was much more difficult to go back to sleep. So instead, trying to find myself uh, leaning more towards journaling and reading um, things that really were more supportive to my my best well-being. Um, Well, just listening, you know, just listening to the news um, brings up the cognitive dissonance. I mean, all you have to do Mm -hmm. is, is... whether you're looking at it on your phone or you're listening to the news, that's all it is, is uh, cognitive dissonance because you've got an expert saying this, an expert saying that. Um, I looked at the news this morning, actually, and the um, the malaria drug that uh, the president is saying is good for uh, COVID, and then they have this doctor on that um, is saying it's good for COVID, and... Then the next sentence, she's saying that demons cause disease. I mean, I, you know, if you looked at the news this morning, I'm not telling anything to anybody if they couldn't see on the news. So here you are. It's true. And Jackie's laughing because, you know, we were talking about it earlier. But some of it, um, it's just makes for that kind of anxiety on who's telling the truth. And then if you had a family member that got COVID, um, wouldn't you want to try anything and even something that you're not sure would work? Absolutely. And again, that, that speaks to that this is, because this is that novel virus, we want to find those solutions. We want to find um, what has potential to really cure it. And um, I think because there's, there's a lot of uh, divisiveness politically, sometimes um, it, it might be that it's discounted or it might be that um, people really want to dig their heels in and say, no, in fact, he, he's just being um, witch hunted or what have you. And so with that said, I, I, <laughs> when it comes to something like demons or, or, or what have you, I, I think that that can sometimes speak to, to people's beliefs. And so I want to be respectful to that. But for me personally, I really like to go back to the numbers. I really like to go back to what is peer reviewed. And I think that's one of the big things at this moment in time is really identifying sources that um, are reliable, that tend to try to be as non-biased as possible. And we are humans. We are biased. It just, it, it unfortunately is what it is. Um, but with that said, I, I think trying to find the ones where they're really trying to look at the data and the science behind it, um, because I think that ultimately is what's probably going to get us through this particular chapter in time, is looking at what is reliably consistent. Well, we have a saying at Access that feelings aren't facts, and uh, yes. uh, and the reason that we, we keep that uppermost in our mind is because we're human beings that operate on feelings, and that all day long we are helping people uh, in a very feeling-oriented way. And, to, you know, if you go with your feelings, something will end up happening a certain way if you go with the facts. Let's talk about, because um, we we could talk for another hour, you know that, uh, Norman, <laughs> on 
all of these things that we've brought up, and that that probably would be, not be such a bad thing. Um, but I want to get to what some people can do to sure. start to look at their compassion fatigue, their caution burnout, their doubt and questioning, the cognitive dissonance, their stress level, because we know that stress it does not help your immune system, and we're all trying to figure out how to keep our immune system right. What are some real concrete things that somebody can do to help themselves? Absolutely. Um, one of the big things I would say is finding balance in the things that you are thinking. So, for example, if you're noticing yourself to be very focused on those worst-case scenarios, trying to counterbalance of what could go right, what could go well. Um, in addition, coming into the present moment awareness. Now, this isn't the case for everybody, and I, I definitely want to be very respectful to those who are going through some very, very stressful moments with potentially losing housing and what have you. Um, but are your lights still on? Is your water still running? Um, have you personally lost somebody? Um, what What is it that you can come into in that present moment uh, mindfulness of, of what is going right and what is going well? Letting go of what you cannot control, which is so much of what is happening in the here and now, but focusing on what you can control, what is absolutely within um, your spectrum that you can uh, do something about. So that might include brushing your teeth, taking a shower, that might, might mean walking the dog, that might mean making a meal. Um, emotions need motion. So one of the big things that I would say here is stop at the first feeling. What does that mean? Um, so a lot of times when people say something like, I feel sad, they quickly follow it with a but, but I shouldn't. So many others have it worse. Who am I to feel bad? I'm just complaining. I should stop feeling bad for myself. But really what this leads to is stuck emotions. So instead, try saying, I feel sad. Stop at that first emotion. Allow for the emotion to exist as it is already there in the body. It's the difference of fighting it versus feeling it and then flowing through it. And again, those emotions need motion. So trying to find the ways to work through. Um, one of my favorite ways has been cleaning. <laughs> I've really enjoyed a lot of cleaning lately. Yeah, I've um, been baking muffins. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Finding those ways to flow through those emotions. Um, to feel what you're feeling. Um, and, of course, wanting to um, focus here again onto the compassion piece. Um, I, I would like if, with your, um, I would like with your permission to go into um, grief because I think that we are experiencing collective grief as well as anticipatory grief. And when it comes to um, a compassion fatigue, these are all pieces that, that work very closely together. So David Klaus, uh, excuse me, David Kessler, he worked very closely with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, and he, uh, she identified the five stages of grief. He added a sixth, and that is finding meaning in our experience. And this can be particularly difficult to do while we're in the process of the experience, which is very open-ended. Um, and so when it comes to meaning, it, it provides that sense of hope, which can be extremely difficult to find at this moment right now as well. But identifying what stage of grief not only you are in, but somebody else might be in. So if they're responding very irritably, 
in such a way that they normally wouldn't. Maybe they're in denial, perhaps they're in anger, but that's where they're at in their grief because they too are grieving. We've gone through massive changes. David Kessler relates it back to um, 9-11, you know, when, when there was a massive loss at that point in time, it forever changed our airport. You know, it. Um, we, we no longer get to greet people at their actual gate. We now have to go through security. We take our shoes off. We take our laptops out, things such as that. Um, we don't know what changes are going to be permanent from this experience. And people are very much grieving the life that was and not knowing um, if there will be that sense of normality in the same capacity again. And in truth, I think that life that was, has passed and that we are now coming into something new and people really resist, resist change. Right. So that could be also something to sit with. Well, let's talk about those. I, I know they're, uh, and I don't know if I have them in the right order. I know it's denial, anger, avoidance, and acceptance. What I think I missed one. I know you said meaning was a sixth one. Right. So it's um, denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, acceptance and then he's added the sixth one which is now meaning finding meaning in one's experience um it's interesting when we talk about covid and you and i haven't really touched on so well we have a little bit on all the other things going on in the world certainly the covid and then we have of course um the black lives matter that uh that we all at least have some thoughts about we certainly have the election coming up. We have what's happening politically. Um, but from a COVID standpoint, um, I know that everybody's acceptance is different. And yet, what do you think? And is acceptance where somebody gets literally peace? I think that that was why he added the meaning stage is because, yes, you have acceptance. Yes, this is your reality now. But now what? Now, where do we go? What, what, how do we move forward? And um, it's not finding meaning or, or trying to say that it's okay that perhaps you've lost somebody. Um, it's more so saying, what is it that I can do now with this experience in order to make the most of my life and time? And, um, you know, I, I definitely am concerned for what's going to happen in, in going forward. I think that there's still a lot of things that are going to get worse before they get better. And so holding on to hope, again, can be a very difficult part of that. Mm-hmm. The acceptance of it is, um, I think, that's where perhaps somebody is now in contemplation. Um, that's a really, it's the second stage of change, and we can address stages of change at another time if you'd like. Um, but contemplation is is an important place to be. That means you have a lot of options on the table, a lot of different directions that you might go. And um, I think that in contemplation is where we really begin to cultivate what else we want from our life and what else we want as we go forward. Yeah, the, the issue of control um, that and change, um, next week when we talk about job loss and getting laid off and how somebody copes with that. Um, the questions that I sent you really have to do with change, how hard it is you know, to do change and what are the stages in change and then figuring out what we control and we can't. You, you brought that up a few minutes ago and it was interesting how you said uh, simple brushing your teeth or getting dressed because I know quite a few people that are working from home and 
Jackie and I talk about it all the time. We're not working from home. We're one of the few in our office, and we appreciate that we get to see at least a few people, you know, outside of our home base on a daily basis. But the people working from home, and this may be another podcast, Nora, that are working from home that see the same people all day and are in that environment all day, sometimes um, they relax themselves on some things that they before was uh, a part of their routine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so maybe we it would be good to do a podcast on working from home um, at another date because I think the people I talk to my staff all the time that are at home and some of them really like being at home but still the change of it and the being within that environment all day long um, and not leaving it creates its own issues. Um, so the the denial, anger, bargaining, sadness, acceptance, and the meaning, I think that we'll incorporate that into, it sounds like we should incorporate it into most of the podcasts that we're going to be doing. You bet. You bet. It's, it's really highly prevalent at this time. And for people to become familiar with their grief, grief can be a fact of life. You know, I think during our lifetime, we're going to lose some someone, uh, whether it's a pet or somebody very dear to us, a friend or family member. Um, but in addition to that, it's also job loss. It is also um, relationship loss. Uh, I, I've uh, seen a lot of divorces, unfortunately, during this period of time. And, um, I mean, there's there's just so many different types of loss. And so to become familiar with how grief operates, um, at least to a degree, it can very much present very differently depending on the person. Um, but absolutely, it, it could be one of those that uh, streams on through. Hmm. Well, before we before we leave, Noran, um, can you give a couple more concrete things that somebody can do to maybe ease their stress level and their anxiety over the next week or so? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, if somebody is really noticing that they're struggling at this moment in time, I would highly recommend getting support. Now, that includes reaching out to friends and family members saying, hey, I am having a hard time and I I want to put words to that because sometimes it's as simple as putting words to something and allowing certain truths just to hit the air. Once we've said it out loud, there's something to it where we feel much more motivated perhaps to do something with it. But if that just isn't quite enough, it might be that you might need to reach out for mental health support. There is, of course, the the suicide hotline, um, 1-800-273-8255. When it comes to mental health, it can be one that um, people feel as if it has to get really bad before they can ask for support. And in truth, that's where already a lot of damage is done. So one of the things I would say is if you're noticing that you have some some mild to moderate symptoms, that's a really positive time to say, hey, I could use a little extra support, and it might just be enough to tune you up and get you back on track. But if somebody is at the point where they're they're really feeling suicidal, um, that is definitely the time to say, hey, I really I really need to reach out to somebody, have a conversation, um, and it might mean that there there's some bigger things that that need to take place. Um, it might mean for some people to take medications, but it might also again just mean that that person um, is in a really bad spot. And so often we think this is how it will always be, and it's 
it's one of those where it doesn't feel temporary at this moment, but it is temporary. This is not permanent. We will work through it. And sometimes it's just having the opportunity to, to have that support in doing so. Great. Great closing words, Nora Ann. Um, thank you so much for this conversation. We've been talking today about how we can lessen our fears or live with our fears and our anxiety. I think we just uh, touched a little bit of the iceberg here, Noran, don't you think? Absolutely. Mental health is a big one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and we've, you know, we've focused a lot on the data and who's getting the virus and uh but mental health is just as important and so I'm very excited that we're going to be doing this series and as even as we talk today I can think of so many other topics that we uh could and probably should discuss on a podcast. My guest has been Norian Brooklocker. She's a local licensed marriage and family therapist with Sierra Sunrise Wellness. Next week our topic is going to be the emotional impact of being laid off. Another one that um I'm sure We'll have a great discussion, Noran. For a list of our podcasts, you can go to accesstohealthcare.org slash podcast. And for those of you listening, and I want to thank you because we do have, um, you know, quite a listening audience. If you have a COVID-19 topic you would like me to cover, you can go to info at accesstohealthcare.org and you can leave me a message as to what topic you'd like us to go over. So again, uh, Nora Ann, thank you so much for today's conversation. I look forward to the next one. And everybody listening, please stay safe and please wear your mask.